Well, it is a delight to be with you. Uh, this is the first time I've been back to speak from the pulpit in about 10 years, and I think people said it would be a, a cold day in the hot place before they had me back. And so I'm back. Uh, it was interesting that Scott would uh, talk about my uh, throwing things into the future. You may know of his baseball passion. Uh, he's in deep depression now. The World Series is over. I offered him an opportunity this past week to represent a famous baseball player in our annual Halloween tour of the Quaker Graveyard that I lead over at New Garden. Uh, last year, he was Rick Farrell, whose baseball I have here signed, a Hall of Fame baseball player who grew up in the Quaker community, attended New Garden, and graduated from Guilford College. He claimed he had some sort of meeting function that night and couldn't be here. But uh, uh, I will kind of follow up on that by talking a bit about your graveyard today, but in the context, indeed, of that history of the amazing uh, repository here, not only of history, but of good old Quakers over there, and I hope uh, connect it with, with the future. The biblical context for this leads us from Ruth into the Mendenhalls who lived here. Uh, hold on to that image of Ruth and Naomi and Ruth saying, where you will go, I will go. We're going to get back to that, but by way of some local history. Those Mendenhalls were a pretty sturdy bunch. Uh, a lot of you are probably related to the Mendenhalls. How many of you have Mendenhalls in your ancestry? Okay, we've got at least one here, two. Uh, probably if you shake your family trees hard enough, a few of those, along with a few nuts, will fall out. Uh, I want to say one thing about one of the earlier Mendenhalls, uh, Phoebe Mendenhall, who was, related, who was married to George Mendenhall. They lived at a mill right down at the Deep River, right here on Penny Road. It was George Mendenhall who named Jamestown out of, after his father. James Mendenhall was the first of those to settle here. Well, Phoebe was one of those Nantucket Quaker women, strong women that produced people like Lucretia Mott and others whose husbands were always off sailing the, the seas chasing whales, so the women ran that place, and they were strong and sturdy. Well, 1781, Phoebe is down at the mill. The British soldiers have encamped around Deep River, made this into a headquarters for the British Army before the Battle of Guilford Courthouse and that major confrontation with the American British troops. And so Mendenhall family lore goes. The British troops, as armies do, foraged around the area and for weeks had hauled off with everyone's produce, with their cattle, with their goods for the coming uh, year. And finally, after having cleared out the Mendenhall mill of the flour and the grain and then their vegetable uh, larder and a lot of their animals, they walked off with their last milk cow and brought it up here to the encampment. Phoebe was not amused. <laughs> she had a husband and uh, children and hungry mouths to feed, and so she marched right up that hill into the headquarters of the British Army and demanded her cow back. 
and walked back to the mill leading her cow. <laughs> it's the kind of stuff those folk were made of. Well, the great lore around Guilford College, which is not quite as old as you are. We just celebrated our 175th a couple of years ago. The boarding school out of which Guilford College grew was founded in 1837. And I understand that there was a tussle in the yearly meeting between where that boarding school would be located, in the New Garden community or the Deep River community. New Garden won out, but you, you got the age on us. But in that history of New Garden, now Guilford College, this story stands out. In the devastation of the Civil War era, when there was little food available, when their buildings were dilapidated, there was no cash in the economy, and thousands of Quakers were migrating to the north. Benjamin shared a bit uh, this morning about that great migration necessitating a boarding school. So there'd be at least one place in this community where Quaker families could send their children for that guarded education. Nereus and Oriana Mendenhall, who reside out in your cemetery, finally decided we're going to have to pack up and leave. They had delayed and delayed and delayed while other families had left. The whole population, essentially, of Piedmont Quakerism had uprooted and gone to free states, Indiana, Ohio, and, and further west. Nereus was the headmaster of the boarding school, and he had resisted because he knew that if he left, that would mean the end of Quaker education in this area and have a devastating impact on the remnant Quaker community here. He had a brother, Richard Mendenhall, who'd already gone to Minneapolis and become very wealthy in nursery business. The first of two fortunes he made, he later went on out to Seattle, where he got into high tech before all those other Seattle folk got into high tech and made a second fortune. There was money to be made. A cousin of his, Samuel Hill, also from here, had gone up there, an engineer, an architect, famously engineered the Columbia River Scenic Highway along the Columbia River into Portland and created Mary Hill and the copy of Stonehenge there in the high desert of Oregon to try to lure his wife out of Minnesota there. The expression, what in the Sam Hill, probably goes back to all the amazing stuff that Samuel Hill had created. And folks, whoa. And Nereus Mendenhall was a physician. He'd been educated at Jefferson Medical up in Philadelphia. He was an engineer. He helped engineer the Carolina Railroad through it. That's where High Point gets its name, the highest point on the railroad through here. And an educator. He could have, like his brother, like his cousin, done very well in the North. And finally, with the prospects for a Quaker community here very, very dim and the terrible conditions in the Civil War era, they decide, okay, we're going to pack up and leave. They sold most of their furniture. They crated up their remaining personal possessions, and they were actually down at the train station, the Guilford station that we know of in recent history, right there about where Hedgecock is, Market and Guilford College Road. 
the morning that they were to leave for Minnesota. Nereus said, I just had to take one more walk through the boarding school for old time's sake. And as his footsteps echoed in the empty hallways of the old boarding school, he realized if he left, that would be the end of it. Went back, asked his wife, Oriana, what would they think if we stayed? And Oriana famously replied, whatever thee and the Lord decide, Nereus. Nereus went into his private room, prayed about it, came back out and said, unpack, we're going to stay. They had to rent and borrow furniture to stay, but they stayed. And the school flourished, became a college, and the rest is history, as they say. Essentially, Oriana's response was, where, where you will go, Nereus, I will go. And Nereus, for his part, said, where all my family went, I'm not going. But they answered a call that was deep in their hearts that God had placed there of responsibility, of reaching out to the community around them that desperately needed that hope that that education could provide. That same sort of stock came down through their family, Mary Mindenhall Hobbs, the daughter of Nereus and Oriana, who became the wife of the first president of Guilford College, Lewis Linden Hobbs, applied that same sort of passion to encouraging the legislature of North Carolina to establish the first public college for women. Now we know it as UNCG. In the early 1890s, it was women's college. She used that same passion to remain here, advocating for a renewed Quakerism at a time of cataclysmic change spiritually in the area as the Wesleyan revivals burned through here and Quaker children were marching off to those and it looked again like there'd be the end of the Quaker experiment here in the Piedmont if they didn't do some innovation. And she was at the heart of maintaining that Quaker community through a commitment to renewal and spiritual revitalization without losing the Quaker distinctives. Later on, she advocated for progressive education at Guilford, was very active in the temperance movement and women's suffrage, and carried on that tremendous heritage of the people who settled this area and peopled this meeting in going where they needed to go to address the needs of the community. When we take a look at the biblical story, we know that a high price was paid by Ruth in leaving her people, leaving her gods, leaving her culture, leaving what she was familiar with to go to the unknown with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Her sister made a different decision. And just as a tangent, uh, Orpah is the name of her sister who went back to Moab or stayed in Moab when Naomi 
chose to go back to Bethlehem. That's where Oprah Winfrey gets her name. Her mother wanted to name her Orpah after that biblical story, but it was misspelled in the hospital records when she was born. She may not have become a multimillionaire had she taken the other name. But you pay a high price for that kind of commitment, for saying, where you will go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Nereus could have made a fortune in Minnesota, but he chose to stay here as a poorly paid educator. Later on, he paid another high price because as some of the revival techniques took hold here, he couldn't remain He didn't want to create a stir. He didn't want to make waves as a different way of understanding Quakerism took root. He was an old quietist Quaker. And so rather than disturb things, he and Oriana packed up and went to Philadelphia where he had been educated at Haverford. But Mary stayed. Lewis stayed. And as historian Tom Hamm says, They maintained the Quaker community around this area as an island of renewal and moderation surrounded by a sea of fundamentalism. For friends here at Deep River, I think what we can learn from that heritage is that there is a community here that you can address, whose needs that you can speak to, when it might be easier simply to ignore them or avoid them because of the controversy it may invite or because of the difficulty that it may engage you in. I know that you are very involved in issues of hunger and poverty in this area, in issues of peace and social concern. And it doesn't always come easy. Sometimes it comes with controversy. But you have chosen to go where those people are. It's a commitment to those who are marginalized. And it's not just in poverty. It's not just in hunger. I know that in this community there have been commitments to others who've been marginalized, and you've made sacrifices to remain in solidarity with those who are oppressed in various ways. And I know that in many ways members of this meeting have reached you know, far beyond this community in mission work, in support of our yearly meetings, ministries around the world. And I know that a number of people in this meeting are deeply committed to the tough spot our yearly meeting is in. I won't uh, go into much detail about yesterday's representative body meeting. I'll leave that up to Scott, who will just give you chapter and verse, I'm sure, and entertain you with uh, the marathon we went through yesterday. But we're in a tough spot, and it would be very easy to pack up and leave. But these are our people, too. And I know that there are members of this meeting who are committed to doing what they can to speak to the condition of our yearly meeting. Should we stay or should we go now? I'm not going to break into a clash song from the... uh, 1970s. But as we see in the biblical record, sometimes we have to make those tough calls. And it 
sometimes means adopting innovative practices as Mary Mendenhall Hobbes, as Lewis Hobbes did. Sometimes it means choosing a difficult path as Nereus and Oriana did. Sometimes it means speaking truth to power the way Phoebe did and demanding her cow back. When Ruth chose to go with Naomi, she said that where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. It's interesting to note in the biblical record, it does not say that she necessarily assimilated completely into that new community. She maintained some of her old connections. She continued to be known as a Moabite. So evidently, she didn't completely leave her old community, but was willing to make the adaption to accompany her mother-in-law. And it's also interesting to know that having made that sacrifice, there were benefits on down the road that she herself didn't even realize. Eventually, as you know the story, she was gleaning a corner of the field, and Boaz saw her and saw, these Moabite women are pretty hot. And... Uh, they eventually married and had children, and their descendant was David, the great king of the Hebrew people. As we settle back into uh, the closing moments of worship, I simply lift up those images, those models of the people in this community, other models of staying where we are needed, of making a commitment to what is needed in our community, of accompanying those who are doing that hard work, of those who, like Phoebe Mendenhall, are not cowed by the challenges.